Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Hey, it's so good to to be with you this morning, to be back with you, and to kick off the new year with you. Happy New Year. As Jake said, I've, I've been away on sabbatical for the last couple of months, so it's, it's great to be back uh, at Crossroads with you. Um, I'm really grateful for the time of rest and research I was able to have, and, and I believe much of what I learned on my time away will be really valuable for Crossroads in the future, and look forward to possibly sharing some of my findings with you um, at some point down the line. But first, let's just get this year uh, started. Let's get this year going. And as I was preparing uh, for this message this morning, I was aware that it would be the first message of the new year. And when it's the first message of the new year, you can pretty much guarantee that whoever is speaking is going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. All right, that's almost a guarantee. If you were playing Sue and Bingo this morning, the New Year's resolutions would have been a pretty safe thing to have on your card. And so initially I told myself that I would not do it. I was like, I'm not going to be talking about New Year's resolutions. It felt too obvious. It felt too generic. Maybe even a bit of a switch off for you that once I started talking about it, you would see that coming from a mile away and be like, yeah, that's exactly what I thought he was going to say. And so I, was, I wasn't going to do it. But as I was working through the passage, I found myself starting to write things where I'd be like, you know, and if, it's sort of like when you set yourself a goal and I'd be like, nope, nope. We're not doing New Year's resolutions. And I keep going, and I'd be like, and so if we want to set ourselves some goals for this year, and I just couldn't stop myself, right? I just found it too hard not to. I found myself coming back to New Year's resolutions time and time again, because they did actually tie in pretty well to what we're talking about this morning. And so I apologize. I know you expect better than me. It's not very creative. It's not very original. But here we are, New Year's resolutions. Didn't even make it past the introduction. But why do we make them? Why do we make New Year's resolutions? Well, I believe that we make them in hopes of finding fulfillment and happiness in the year ahead. You know, I'll feel better in 2024, better than I did in 2023 because I'll be more fit. Or I'll feel better because I'll be eating healthier. Or I'll feel better because I'll be spending less time on my phone. And there is truth to that, right? There is truth to that. Last year, I decided that I would have smoothies for breakfast instead of cereal, and I'd increase the amount of time I would exercise in the day. And I do feel good about the fact that those things are now a regular part of my routine. I think it's good to put um, to have healthy goals for your life. This year, I've, I've decided I'm going to cut out fizzy, and that I'm going to um, put my phone away when I get home and not get it out till everybody's gone to bed. And, and I think that those things will be good for me, right? They are going to be beneficial for my life. But I also recognize that the small sense of fulfillment that they bring is not a total sense of fulfillment. This year will still have ups and downs like any other year. There will still be things about myself that I would like to work on, like unhelpful personality traits. There will still be unexpected, difficult circumstances. There will be that one thing that I think if I could just have that or if I could just do that, then I'll feel more satisfied. And living in Palmy, there will be weeks of wind and rain that will wear me down, right? Those are going to be some realities this year. And so I'd be lying to myself if I believed that my New Year's resolutions was going to prevent any sense of dissatisfaction this year. And maybe that's why many of us give up on New Year's resolutions so quickly, because we get a few months in and we realize life is still life, and this resolution hasn't brought about the sense of ultimate fulfillment that I was looking for. 
which can sound sort of bleak, right? It's not very optimistic. But that's only true if there is no other option to find that kind of fulfillment. But as followers of Jesus, there is. There is another way. In his book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis says this. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. As followers of Jesus, there is something that can satisfy those desires for satisfaction that our New Year's resolutions never will quite fulfill. And what's even better is it's not some sort of abstract, mystical ideal that you can't really comprehend or can't really know until we are with God in eternity. Instead, it's tangible. It's understandable. It's here now and something that we have more to look forward to in the future. And what I'm referring to is being a part of and representing God's kingdom. It's what Jesus was all about, and, and one of the primary reasons he came. In fact, a couple of verses before our main passage this morning in Matthew chapter 4, we're told this, that Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. But I recognize that the kingdom of God is a very Christian-y term, right? If you are new to faith, or maybe you're with us this morning or tuning in because you made it your New Year's resolution to check out church, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, me saying the solution to our dissatisfaction is being a part of God's kingdom may not have been the exciting answer that you were hoping for, because what even is that? What does that mean? It sort of sounds abstract, right? It sort of sounds a bit mystical. It sort of sounds out of reach. But it's not. It's something tangible, understandable, that we can know, be a part of, and live out right here and now. You see, while Jesus was on earth, he took time to explain what his kingdom is, how we can be a part of it, and what it looks like when we are a part of it through a teaching of his called the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we're going to be spending the summer, making our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and learning what his kingdom is, and how we can be a part of it. Now, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the Sermon on the Mount is something you're probably far more familiar with than you realize. There are a lot of things that we believe and say in everyday life, whether Christian or not, that come directly from Jesus' teachings on the Mount. Things like treat others how you would like to be treated, or going the extra mile, or letting your yes be yes and your no be no, or you know the one who's pointing the finger has three fingers pointing back at them. These are just a few sort of common teachings and sayings that many people believe and adhere to and say, whether Christian or not, that are derived from the teachings of Jesus on the Mount. And these teachings have actually had a pretty significant impact on the world that we live in today. Though he didn't consider himself to be a Christian, Gandhi read the Sermon on the Mount twice a day for the final 40 years of his life, and it was the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount that shaped his peaceful protests in India. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian, was compelled due to the teachings of Jesus to return to Germany from England at the height 
of Nazism. And Dietrich staunchly and vocally opposed the oppression of the Jews and other minorities, and it eventually ended in his arrest and death. We can even find teachings from the Sermon on the Mount in songs by artists such as Bob Marley or, or you too. Um, and if you'd like to know more about the Sermon on the Mount and um, its significance, Bible Project have just started a year-long journey looking at the Sermon on the Mount. So you can find the first video for that series on the Bible Project YouTube channel. You can find the first conversation about it on their podcast on either Spotify or Apple Music. And they've also got their own app, Bible Project app, that has all of the content there. So if you'd like to know more about the Sermon on the Mount and make your way through it this year, they're journeying their way through it. But I believe the Sermon on the Mount has had such a powerful impact on humanity because its teachings lead us towards the ultimate fulfillment we're looking for. It leads us towards that satisfaction that we all desire. But we often don't quite get there because these teachings aren't easy. Like New Year's resolutions, they take discipline. They'll provide us with the results we want, but the journey is tough, and so it leads to long-term satisfaction rather than instant. And so Jesus, he kicks off the sermon explaining his kingdom, and he begins by describing what the people are like who are a part of his kingdom, which are those of us who follow him. And so he gives these nine statements known as the Beatitudes um, in Matthew chapter 5, and, and that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning, and, and it's what Jesus has to say about the people of his kingdom. So we're going to be in chapter 5, starting in verse 1, if you want to follow along. The verses will be on the screen as well, and, and this is what it says. It says, One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And God blesses you. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and, and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So Jesus makes these nine blessing statements. And I think it's important for us to first understand what Jesus means when he says that we are blessed. And this takes a little bit of thinking because when Matthew writes these things down, he writes them in Greek. But when Jesus would have spoke them, he would have said them in Aramaic. But being a Hebrew, there are a lot of terms and phrases in Aramaic that cross over with Hebrew and sort of are interchanged and mean the same thing. And most of the people listening to Jesus would have spoke all three of those languages, Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek. And so there would have been a bit of been a bit of a mixed understanding as to what Jesus is meaning when he says blessed. So the term blessed can mean a few different things depending on uh, what language you're focusing on. In Hebrew, and I'm pretty sure the word is pretty similar to what it means in Aramaic, uh, the word for blessed is Esher, which gives a sense of congratulations due to stability and success. 
So essentially, God congratulates those who are merciful and will show them mercy. Or congratulations to those who work for peace. You will be called children of God. But the Greek word that Matthew uses when he wrote it down is the word makarios, which is used to describe how Greek gods had everything they needed and were completely satisfied all the time, unaffected by the outside world. So blessed was likely understood in this sort of mixed context, this sort of a combination of these concepts, like a congratulations, you have everything you need to be satisfied. And that's honestly not too far off from how we would use blessed today, right? If somebody made a post today and they said they were blessed, they would usually mean that they have everything they need and more. The only difference is with Jesus that that will never end, right? That's ongoing, that sort of feeling of blessing. And these types of blessing teachings, they would have been really familiar with the people who were listening to Jesus. You see, throughout the Psalms, there are plenty of times where a verse will say, blessed is the one who does this, or blessed is the one who does that. In fact, the very first Psalm, verse 1, starts off that way. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk and step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So this type of teaching is very familiar to the people who are listening. But the difference with Jesus' blessing teachings is that many of them are things that you don't feel would be the kind of situations where you would feel blessed, where you would think, I have everything I need to be satisfied. You know, congratulations, God has given you everything you need to be satisfied to those of you who are poor, or to those of you who are mourning, or to those of you who are being persecuted. That sort of feels like a bit of an oxymoron, right? But there's actually something really special about Jesus saying this. Because many other religions would say, in order to engage with spiritual things, you need to escape this world. You need to find enlightenment. You need to find peace within yourself. You need to remove yourself from the world around you. Or you need to keep a bunch of rules and laws that make it difficult for you to engage with the world around you. But what Jesus is saying is, I will meet you in the world that you are in. And I will provide satisfaction in it. Not an abstract, mystical escape, but a tangible experience of satisfaction in the very world that you live in. As followers of Jesus, we experience the brokenness of this world and the hope of the kingdom at the same time. Hence how you end up with these statements that almost seem like the opposite within themselves, right? You've got poverty, but also inheritance. You've got mourning and comfort. You've got persecution and joy. Other religions might say you need to go from here to there, but Jesus says, you are here and I will bring my kingdom to you. Which honestly, in a sense, what other religions offer initially might be more appealing, right? Because if we can escape, then we don't have to deal with the pain and the heartache of this world But it's more of a selfish way of thinking because it's all about the betterment of me. But what Jesus is saying is, I care about this world, that he cares about every single person on this planet. And so though it would feel nicer to uh, just find some sort of enlightenment and be whisked away, he wants us to stay and to love and care for the people on this world so that they may come to know the immense love of Jesus that we have come to know. He essentially wants to use us as a map to him. In the streaming series, The Chosen, which uh, you can find for free online, uh, in season two, Jesus is working on the Sermon on the Mount. He's putting it together with Matthew. 
And one time he, he wakes up Matthew and he says, I've got it. I figured out the opening to the sermon. And Matthew says, what is it? And Jesus says, it's a map. And Matthew's like, what? Which Jesus replies, it's directions for people to find me. And after Jesus recites the Beatitudes to Matthew, Matthew says, those are great, but how is it a map? And Jesus responds, if people want to find me, these are the groups of people they should look for. You know, Jesus is inviting you and me to be a part of his plan to make known the good news of his kingdom, that it is here and it is coming. And people can know that by the way that we live according to this list here in the Beatitudes. And people will know that what we are saying is true because who lives like this and finds satisfaction in it? There must be something special about it, right? Or maybe people will find Jesus through the fact that you live this way. I don't know if, if you've ever been to like the supermarket or something and, and you don't know the person behind uh, the counter at all, but you walk away after that interaction and you're pretty sure they're a Christian. And I think what's going on in that moment, right, is usually in that moment, some of the Beatitudes we're talking about are taking place in that moment. That person says something or they demonstrate that these things in their life and you just know that's, that's different. They must be a follower of Jesus. In fact, people in this room this morning that I've met in a store and thought, hey, I think they're a Christian, and then they show up here, and I'm like, oh, yeah, they are. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool example. You know, in God's genuine, deep love for us, He gives us the choice to follow Him or not. He's not going to force anyone to do that because that would not be genuine love. And so instead, He invites us to be a part of the team that makes that love known. But he knows that life is difficult. He knows that living on this planet can be hard and bring a lot of, of pain and, and hardship. And so he says, I will bring my kingdom to you, and I will bring you peace and satisfaction amongst the difficulty you might find yourself in. Essentially, in the Beatitudes, Jesus is saying, in your world there is poverty, both literal and spiritual. But in my kingdom, there are eternal riches beyond anything that you can imagine. And if you believe in me, they are yours. You can spend eternity with me. But you don't just have to wait for then. When you mourn in this life, I will be there with you. My spirit is always with you. You can reach out to me. You can speak to me. I am listening. The world says if you aren't first, you're last, but you're already going to inherit the whole earth when my kingdom is fully here, so you don't need to be first. Instead, positively impact a life by humbling yourself and, and putting others first. That's unusual. That's different. People will notice that. And I know there's a lot of injustice in this world, and so one day I will come back and I will put an end to all of it. But in the meantime, let me use you to bring about some justice. Speak up for those who don't have a voice. Take care of those who are neglected. Let me use you in that. And the world might say that you don't get to the top for, by feeling sorry for people, but there would be no hope for eternity if I hadn't shown you mercy. So show mercy to others and have the right intentions and, and watch how often I show up in your day-to-day -day life because we're in tune. We, we want the same thing. And in this world that can be so polarizing, seek peace. Exemplify both truth and grace, and you'll find peace. And even if people don't agree with you, they'll see that you are peaceful. But because I give people free choice, they may make life difficult for you because of what you believe. But remember, the here and now isn't everything. You've still got eternity to look forward to. But man, I know it's hard. 
I know it's tough. I see that. And so when you come to be with me one day, I will reward you personally for all that you did for me on my behalf in the world. You see, God is saying when you live like this, the world will know that he loves them and you will experience a deep satisfaction that you won't find anywhere else because you'll have everything that you need. It may not be the things that you think you need to be satisfied right now, but give it a go and I guarantee you'll find it to be true. I do really challenge you to put these things to the test. Try genuinely living these ways and life may be tough, but strangely, that'll be okay. And you won't feel like you're lacking anything. You'll have everything you need. You see, living according to God's kingdom can be a bit upside down. It's often the opposite to what we think will satisfy us. But what we think will satisfy us never seems to work. So obviously what actually works would have to be quite different, right? We're probably all familiar with Einstein's famous quote of, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Let's try something different. Let's live according to God's kingdom and see if it brings about the sort of satisfaction that we've been looking for. Which, getting satisfaction is not the reason why we do it. We do it because we love God and we love others. But it is a pretty awesome byproduct of that. And I think that's something important for us to consider when thinking about how we apply these Beatitudes. Because these Blessings aren't a reward for behavior, but rather the result of the condition of your heart. Embracing the Beatitudes isn't a fake-it-till-you-make-it sort of scenario. Rather, as you fall more and more in love with Jesus, it's who you become. Could I work on being more merciful? Yes. But if I fall more and more in love with who Jesus is, then I'm going to want to be more merciful. If I know Jesus, then peace will be what I desire. And I think an incredible example of this is an amazing lady named Corrie Ten Boom. And if you've ever been through the Alpha course, then you'll be familiar with her story. Um, And I started writing down her story, uh, but I realized that the people at Alpha and Corrie herself tell the story far better than I ever could. So let's just check it out um, for a moment. One of my great heroes is Corrie ten Boom. She's a Dutch Christian who hid Jews during the war. She was caught and Corrie and her sister and her father went to Ravensbrück concentration camp. Her father and her sister Betsy died there. She's an amazing woman and after the war she went and spoke to others about forgiveness. She was speaking in a church in Germany one time and at the end of her talk she recognized the man coming up to her and she could see it was one of the most cruel guards from Ravensbrück. She pictured him as he was then. And as he came up to her, he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook. He didn't recognize her, but she knew, she recognized him. She could see him, and she remembered walking naked past him. She said she felt so cold and so angry. He said, I've become a Christian now. I know I did some very cruel things but I've received God's forgiveness for the cruelties I've done. And I ask God's grace for an opportunity to ask one of my very victims for forgiveness. Fraulein Ten Boom, once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. 
But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who has given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. You know, Corrie didn't feel that she could forgive, but the love of Jesus compelled her to reach out her hand. You know, I'm not naturally going to be all these things that Jesus lists in our passage this morning. But the more I get to know him, the more I live like him, and the more true these things will be of me, will be of you. Which leaves me feeling a little bit conflicted, right? Because I love to wrap things up with some specific application. I'd love to say, oh, you're struggling with mercy? Well, then just do this and do that and you'll be a lot better at it. Or, you know, just do this and you'll be a lot more humble. But again, these blessings aren't reward for behavior. It's just who you are as a follower of Jesus. And so the best thing that we can do is spend some quality time with him, some quality time with God through talking to him through prayer, reading his word, and, and gathering with others to worship like you are doing now by being a part of this morning. And it was so beautiful just to hear everybody singing out behind me this morning. And there are a ton of great tools that you can use to help you do those things. One of them sort of combines a few of those things together. It's an app called Lectio 365, L-E-C-T-I-O. Um, and it's an app that gives you free daily devotionals that help you pray through the Bible every day. It's great, and it's a great tool. It's worth checking out. That's the little logo to look for when you're looking on the App Store. But I also recognize that you can pray, and you can read the Bible each day, and, and do all of those things, and it not feel like much changes, because they can start to feel like tick box things. And so that's why I want to emphasize the quality part of spending time with God. A couple of weeks ago, I had arranged a, a, a meeting with another pastor in town at a, at a local cafe. And when I parked my car in the Harvey Norman car park, I was a couple of minutes early, but I figured I'd head in anyway to find us a table. Well, I was, I was walking to the cafe, and I could see the pastor that I was going to be meeting with uh, just a little bit ahead of me. And so he must have been a little bit early as well. And so he walked into the cafe, not knowing that I was not far behind him down the street. And as I walked up to the cafe doors, I watched him sit down and close his eyes. And I realized that he had shown up a few minutes early so that he could sit down and have a moment to pray for the meeting that we were about to have. And I thought, man, that is some quality time with God right there. You know, that's an admirable relationship with God. It was nothing big, it was nothing fancy, but just a genuine desire to seek God, to be with God, to be led by God, to make some space, to just seek Him and, and be with Him. 
And, you know, I could have left that meeting and then gone home and had 20 minutes of some tick box prayer time to meet a daily quota that I believe that I should have each day. But it probably wouldn't have been of the same quality as that genuine small moment I witnessed of this other pastor seeking God in that moment. And so that's really what I mean. You know, I'm stoked that you are here this morning or tuning in online, but I encourage you to take some time to consider what we talk about this morning afterwards. Maybe to discuss what stuck out to you with another person here in the room or who you're watching with, or to take five, ten minutes this afternoon to just ponder on what we've looked into, uh, just thinking about it with God. Maybe you want to do that after the kids go to bed. You know, just to, to make coming today more than just a tick box thing, to make it quality time. Or to take time to, to pray through the things that you read through in the Bible, not to read them, close the, the Bible and move on and not think about them again, but to really think through them. And you may want to use Lectio 365 to help you do that. Also, you know, just keeping um, an eye open for moments where the Holy Spirit might lead you to things through the day, whether that's to, to pray for someone and that might be with them or just for them quietly. Um, it might be to provide for someone in some way. It's just making that time with God quality time, right? And, and I'm pretty confident that if we do that, the characteristics that we read about in the Beatitudes today that followers of Jesus have will become more and more true of who you are. Let your time with God be quality time, not just tick box time. You know, whatever your New Year's resolution is for 2024, I hope you find it to be valuable and I hope it has a positive impact in your routine. But most of all, I hope that you come to know the deep satisfaction that can be found in knowing and living like Jesus. He's the only one that can bring about satisfaction that can last despite our circumstances. And if you don't know Jesus, if you wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Him, you can come to know Him today. In verse 3 of our, our passage this morning, it said, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Some scholars translate that to mean literal poverty. Others translate it to mean spiritual poverty. And, and sometimes they'll even say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Meaning those who recognize they need someone to mend the brokenness within them. If they do that, they can inherit the kingdom of God. And so that can be a reality for you this morning. We're told in the Bible that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you do that this morning, that's where that journey will begin for you of getting to know Jesus, being with Jesus, and becoming more and more like Him. If you want those Beatitudes to become who you are, that's where it starts. It starts with a relationship with Him. And so you can do what those verses say this morning. You can believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead. And if you do, man, then I really encourage you to come and chat to me afterwards. I'll make sure I'm down here at the bottom and a few others will be down here as well. So we can encourage you so that we can um, just celebrate with you and, and provide you with some opportunities to um, be supported on that journey of getting to know Jesus more and more. And if I happen to not be available, I'm sure whatever friendly face you talked to this morning will be able to encourage you in the same way. But together, let's embrace what being a part of God's kingdom looks like. In 2024, let's find the satisfaction we've been looking for in following Jesus and becoming more and more like Him. It's probably not going to be easy. It's probably going to be hard in a lot of ways, but strangely, it will be exactly what we're looking for. So let's do that together. Let's pray.
God, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your example. We're so thankful that you came to the earth and you told us what it is that we're looking for, God, that you shared with us what it is that we long for. And it's to be more and more like you. Thank you that you love us so much, Lord, that um, yeah, you don't just whisk us away, that you, you keep us here um, to share your love with others. What an incredible opportunity it is to be a part of your team, God, to be a part of your plan. We're so grateful for that. And so, Lord, I just pray for that this year. I pray that over this community that in 2024 we would come to know that deep satisfaction that is available to those of us who follow you, Lord. That no matter what comes our way this year, whether good or bad, highs or lows, the mountaintops, the valleys, Lord, that we would know that you are enough, that we have everything we need in you. And I just want to pray for those, Lord, who don't know you at all yet. Pray that this morning would be that morning where they would come to know you, where 2024 would be the year where their life totally changed and they were made new and they found what they've never experienced before, Lord, your amazing, incredible genuine deep love for them. So I want to pray for that, Lord. Pray that you give them the boldness to to take that step this morning. But thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for being able to kick off the year together and just be thinking about you. Thank you for your Sermon on the Mount, Lord, that shares with us what your kingdom is and what it looks like and how we can be a part of it. Thank you that you put in such an effort to make your ways known to us, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in your name. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.